Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Anthony Venare, founder at Fit Insider. Fit Insider is a newsletter, podcast, and investment fund focused in the fitness and wellness space. Fit Insider helps operators and overall fitness enthusiasts stay informed through a number of different mediums and channels. We are huge fans of Anthony's weekly newsletter and podcast and beyond excited to be chatting with him today. Anthony, welcome to Subscribing to Wellness. Thanks so much for joining us. Rachel and I have been following the Fit Insider newsletters religiously for quite a long time, and we're happy to be speaking with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. For sure. Would you mind giving a little background for our listeners on kind of what Fit's, Fit Insider is, how you decided to start it, and kind of how it's evolved over time? Fit Insider, I'd say, started as me as an industry professional, originally strength coach and gym owner, and a lot of other fun things. Just writing about the space in the way that I thought people would. You know, it was a newsletter. I started out as a side project of our last kind of company, and it was what's happening in the health and wellness side that I'm seeing digital, the change in nutrition and high performance lifestyle, and all the things we've written about. So, random newsletter that we had sent on to like five friends. And over the course of a couple months, just really took off. And that's when the podcast launched. And now Fit Insider is newsletter, podcast, kind of research content group. And then now most recently a fund. And it's investing in the kind of future of health, wellness, and fitness. Very cool. And can you talk a little bit more kind of about the fund and kind of how you go about deploying and how it kind of works operationally? Yeah, absolutely. So we are focused on writing checks in the pre-seed and seed stages, the earlier, the better for us. We, because of all the research and experience we have on the fitness and wellness side, we want to help companies earlier on, be able to validate with them, you know, help them find their team, help them understand their audience, use the research and experience to bring them along and get in early and support them. You know, smaller check sizes compared to some other early stage funds, but focused on backing them then. And then we also, the way that our fund is set up, we have a unique LP, which we'll hopefully be able to share soon. And the, they, it's a single LP and we can invest across all stages with that later on as well. So, but the directly from Fit Insiders is focused on pre-seed and some seed. Yeah. I think it's really great to have you on because we've talked a lot with kind of branded consumer product founders. I mean, I think that you're bringing a really new perspective and kind of angle to health and wellness in general as a space. And so would love to just open it up to you to give us a bit on terms of like what you're excited about trend-wise within this broad health and wellness space that you guys cover so closely. Absolutely. So it's kind of funny. It all tracks back to newsletters that we've written. When we think about us and investing, there's the high performance lifestyle. And what that means that we've written about from like that to trickle down health, where what is happening and what has happened over the past few years at the highest levels of performance, whether it's professional athletes, military, otherwise is all adapting at scale now. Like look at Whoop and where they started and what they're doing now in the brand. So it's what is going on with high performance lifestyle. And we split it up into a few different areas. I'm actually pulling up our thing just so I make, I say them right. So it's high performance lifestyle with sleep and recovery. And mental fitness, which we read about not too long ago in the mental gym side of it, not mental health, but 
how do you improve on your mental strength and fortitude and kind of planning that side of it? And then health tracking and optimization, obviously those are very broad. And then we really are biggest fans of personally unbundling the gym, which was a big kind of pillar piece of our content and research. And that is yes, connected in digital fitness, but personally my passion really lies in active lifestyle and recreation. When COVID hit and that people were outside and were able to pursue their passions even more and had the time and, you know, the space to do it with whether it's run, hike, bike, swim, pickleball, tennis, other things like that area. And the social interaction and the community that comes from that is big for us. Another one is personalized well-being. It's like the at-home testing, precision healthcare, precision nutrition, having behavior change, really a lot of the things that I think are the true pillar of health and wellness for most people. How do you improve your health? How do you change your habits? How do you make sure you have the right nutrition and kind of systems in place? That's another big area for us. And then on the side, we're looking at kind of Web3 health and fitness. We're very big on the AR side and social fitness, gaming, and some of that. But there's also the seeing what's happening and moves to earn proof of health, NFTs. Open to seeing it. We're looking at a lot of stuff. We're back in a few projects here and there, but it's not at mass scale yet for us, at least. Yeah. In terms of like precision nutrition and all of the wearables that are tracking, I mean, we see levels and routine and LO and, you know, the list goes on. What are some like things that you look for in terms of like how to identify which companies are doing it best or markers that you look for when you're analyzing them or just taking a deeper look into them? You know, especially in the early stages for us, it's what it's a hard blend between personal interest and passion and passion. And then the business side, because there's a lot of projects and things that I see that are great businesses, but you know, I'm not that bullish on supplements at scale. I think that they work, but I also know that a lot of them don't. So it's more when you think precision nutrition, it's honestly navigating the broad scale of how do people understand what is the best diet and or nutrition plan to follow for themselves with, there's still no way to figure that out. Really. Even with the testing, how do I know? And I've gone and, you know, tried all the products, done all the things, had levels, vary everything else, as well as have a, you know, go pay a, a lot of money to see a doctor that can give you a very detailed prescription. And I still feel like it's a guessing game. And not only that, but simplifying it. The average consumer is eating McDonald's still because they don't understand the implications of that. They're eating and drinking sodas. Like, how do we have habit behavior change as well as enough basic information to move more, eat less, eat well, but make a business out of it. And that's kind of hard. We're still looking for things there, but I mean, there's so many, whether it's inside trackers, I know you mentioned Elo and routine and gainful, and there's just so much happening in that space. And they're all really great founders and businesses. But as we dig in, it's really trying to find what has a broader opportunity to impact people when it comes to like informing them about nutrition. Cause I think that's the biggest gap. Fitness seems somewhat accessible. If you look about just even walking and doing other things as people are starting to get moving and eventually having owned gyms, I saw thousands of people go through their fitness journey from like never working out to being healthy, but no matter what, there was always a guessing game on nutrition and how to fuel their bodies the right way. Yeah. I think it's such a good point. I feel like some of these kind of wearable applications throw so much data at you and if you're willing to take the time to really absorb that data and figure out what you can do with it to kind of change your dietary habits, your lifestyle, then there can be some good that comes out of it. But I also just think that to your point, 
it's driving a lot of complexity and kind of driving down conversion amongst kind of the average consumer because it's so kind of complex to take away the insights that are being fed to you and kind of use them to then improve kind of your health and your lifestyle. And so for me, it's about, to your point, kind of finding applications and kind of wearables that simplify what like the data insights that I'm taking away and kind of provide me with the actions that I can take tangibly with my diet and with kind of my fitness routine that'll actually kind of improve my lifestyle. Because I feel like with the so many of these apps are just kind of data independently focused. And that honestly, for a lot of, especially the average athlete or the average consumer can just be so complex. It, it won't drive kind of mass adoption. So yeah. I think you raise a really good point. And even in, you know, we think uh, all of us are probably way more informed than the general consumer. And sometimes for me, like when people ask me what I use, I've tried it all. I stick with an Apple watch to remind me not to miss meetings and track my steps and basics, but that's it because I've done all the other stuff. And it's been somewhat overwhelming for even with my experience for some of it. I, I like to jump in and I think it's fun to test the glucose monitor every so often to see how I'm responding to food and certain things. And it's nice to know the sleep side of things when it comes to whoop and aura, but the consistency of like, I know what I'm eating. I know my, what I'm moving and I know kind of how I'm burning in general. And yeah. that's enough for me, at least for now. Yeah, you bring, I mean, there's so much, there's so much here and so much that I want to unpack. I am curious where your head's at in terms of how these intersect with like clothing and the wearable tech, because I think there's, you know, like we see companies like Amorpho where you're putting weights on the body in a way to quote unquote, like help elevate, you know, your training and in a sense, like how do you see kind of those worlds intersecting where we have like clothing tech, wearables, tracking, you know, and then you have like Peloton launching their wearable tracker. Like where do you see this all coming to like a breaking point or do you see them all living in separate bubbles? There's definitely been, I think, a, a struggle on the connected clothing side for people to hit scale that they need for the valuation. Because the hard part is it costs a ton to develop these things and they're still forward thinking and a little bit more, you know, test and learn than they are truly be a, a commercial, commercialized product. So, you know, I see them and they've raised a lot and they're still not really there, but they're awesome. And I'm excited about that, but I know it's going to be a while before it can truly be used at scale, which is going to need to be what happens. So I don't think there'll be much crossover yet. But I do think that you're starting to see, as you mentioned, the consumer is going to want these advanced things when they are both affordable and easily accessible. Because even with like Whoop and where they're at and Aura and some of the other things, I think with a lot of the consumers, not the general, the fitness generalists as we call it, but people that edge more to like the weekend warrior, high performance-ish, they want these fun things. Like a buddy of mine who's our lawyer has a cycling team and does all this stuff. And he does not, he doesn't need the data to truly compete, but it's fun for him. And it's part of his hobby. So I think that's the next phase of these people that, and that's why you see so many of these products targeting endurance athletes, because they have disposable income and they're easy to test and they're very passionate about what they're doing. And every deck we see nowadays is endurance consumer is somewhere on there. And it's because they're willing to spend and test and that's going to continue to grow the base that they're at. But I don't think it's going to hit, you know, the mass general, consumer anytime soon. Yeah, I think it's a great answer. On a different topic, 
we saw the announcement about Hydro, huge Series D. And I just want to get your perspective. I mean, Connected Fitness kind of through biking was obviously kind of dominated by Peloton. I feel like there were, you know, a few competitors when you think about Echelon, when you think about Nordic Track, you think about what SoulCycle tra- is trying to do with kind of their bike. Why? I mean, it feels like so much capital has been poured so quickly into this rowing space with some pretty strong competitors emerging much earlier than kind of the journey of kind of connected fitness through cycling. Like what is so exciting about this rowing space and how do you kind of see it playing out? Yeah, we wrote about not too long ago in the newsletter because I think I have a unique experience. I was actually a strength coach and coach for a rowing team. For at a school and went through the process of really spending the time on the rower, on the boat, on the concept too, and experiencing rowing that way. And I think what happened with a lot of different areas in fitness, it was investors that missed the thing here and there, and then just started piling money onto what was the next opportunity that they were seeing that had some legs. Because in reality, concept two is, is a bigger business. They do well, you know, salt is there, is doing it. I'm assuming rogue's going to make their own rower one day when they've already done the rogue uh, bike so none of the current products that I'm seeing as a type of consumer that I am competes with a concept too. It's a better machine, honestly. It's a different type and there's not, it's not connected at all, but it's a quality machine. So it's hard for these companies. And I believe in what Hydro is doing and I believe in what Avron's doing and I believe in what Ergot is doing. But I think some of them took on a ton of funding and I'm eager to see where they take the businesses because, you know, I don't think they're like with spinning and other stuff, it wasn't like Peloton was competing with Mad Dog Athletics and Johnny G and their things because that was in the gym. Peloton was at home, but there's Concept Twos at home. They're everywhere. They're not just in the gym. So it's a weird market that I think will grow over time. But the positive of it all is rowing is a phenomenal workout, and I think a lot of people could just row, and it also is not impact, and, and a lot of people can start there. So I think it could scale, but. I don't think there there's $5 billion companies in rowing. So we'll have to see what happens over the next couple of years. Yeah. It's just an interesting dynamic. Cause I feel like if you were an early investor in Peloton and there are some investors who followed on in, in every single round, obviously, even at today's kind of point, you've made quite a return. And then I think investors must see like a similar kind of one to two winners playing out in that space as well, that they're really excited to kind of underwrite. And so I think that must kind of be the driver from an investor perspective, but I just, I don't know. I feel like rowing is still, and maybe I'm wrong. Like I I do row sometimes at the gym. So I see it it is an incredible workout. You're completely right. Like it's more of that full body workout. Um, But to get that to scale, it's just really surprising to me how much capital has so quickly been kind of poured into that space to your point as well. I think there's also like the education hurdle around rowing as opposed to cycling or treadmill, like you can really incorrectly row and thus like a not get a good workout or B really injure yourself much more than with a stationary bike or a treadmill or an elliptical. And so I think there's like the fear factor, which you see often in terms of like, like cricket nutrition or like other supplements. It's like that barrier to entry for the consumer often is what is a hurdle, but then once you kind of latch them on, you, you have them. And I think like hydro, like the way they've done it 
is to make it like more accessible. So you have like a beautiful screen and it's like a beautiful product and things like that. The same way Tonal has made strength training accessible, but there's still that initial barrier to entry and that hurdle. Yeah, I know it's a really, it's an interesting dynamic. I think that's with a lot of fitness though. The thing that's been the focus for the past couple of years since COVID is the attention on the product and the design and the kind of experience. But as you know, someone that started as a trainer and coach, kettlebells, rowing, strength training, anything, it's definitely still a matter of can they perform the exercises correctly? Can they lift the amount of weights correctly? Can they prescribe the right amount of stuff? And that's never going to go away. That's the basis of fitness that I think is sometimes overlooked when I hear or see pitches, I hear people talking about it. It's less about the actual programming and the workouts in the form and the specific, you know, training methodologies and more about the product, which I still think leaves a lot of opportunity, which is why we've you know, written about and been bullish on the fitness creator side. There's a lot of room for coaches to build relationships, provide programming, and like there's and provide programming and provide correction, guidance, and support while they're on any device. You know, there's rowing specific coaches out there that says, doesn't matter what you're on, even if you have a hydro or whatever, I'll coach you on rowing or I'll give you programming. I'll do the same thing with, you know, those coaching people on tonals and other things. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think another interesting point kind of on this topic that you've written about is just about making kind of some of these connected fitness um, companies kind of developing games within the actual experience itself. And I was thinking about this the other day, like I personally am pretty self-motivated to go to the gym and, and potentially hop on a rower. But I also think your point on kind of bringing the recreational athlete into kind of the space that avoids the gym or avoids the connected fitness because they find it too boring through embedding really entertaining games kind of into the experience is a really new innovation. And I would love if you could just talk a little more about kind of that element of content that we're seeing within kind of more exercise options. Yeah. The gamification of everything is awesome. I love it. I know some of the more traditional fitness professionals aren't fans of it, but I think it's great as long as it's people engaged in moving. And in reality, whether it was being at a CrossFit gym or training for a marathon, it's always been gamified. It's always been something that you're competing and tracking and building. And then you see things like Strava take off because not only do they add social side, but I actually still upload my walks and everything to Strava to see what I'm doing weekly, how I'm tracking where I was, all that stuff. And then we actually are just going to be announcing soon. We're investing in a company called Any Distance, which is an app that lets you kind of create really cool shareable things around your workouts, your runs, your walks, as well as the earned medals and the found items and the, the gamification of it all. It's great. I love it. I think that's the side of us that we're really excited about the future of as long as it gets one more person moving that wouldn't be or keeps them moving or helps them stay encouraged or excited about what they're doing, I welcome it. Yeah, I think it's a really good segue to an area that I wanted to talk to you about, which is mental health. And I think the idea of, you know, a lot of these, like the gamification allows people to be engaged in exercise or fitness or healthy lifestyles in a way that keeps them coming back, which in turn can lead to, you know, greater mental health, et cetera. You've written recently about psychedelics and you've written a ton about mental health. And I think we all can attest that through COVID, you know, it's been that buzzword. I'm really curious on you just like shedding some light on your thoughts on the psychedelic space, where you think that's headed, legalization, 
and kind of like how we bring that into this? Yeah, absolutely. I, my personal belief, not our kind of investing thesis and everything else is I have had over the years, you know, my own mental health problems with my background and everything else. And more recently, my, what I went through with my own health journey through COVID, I look to that and, and I've personally tried certain things within that range. And it's great if used properly with the guidance. And that's the thing that I think is lacking is we don't know yet if the infrastructure and the systems and the products can be done. Like, is it proper to give ketamine over a digital health zoom? I don't know. Seems a little bit kind of iffy because of really the, I think it's the clinical and just the prescription side of like, can you do it and it not be abused and can it be done safe? And are there enough people that can be there to make this and not a I don't want it to be commercialized like Roe and, you know, hymns and hers. That's what I'm getting at is like, it, it needs to stay medical in a very strict way. But I think the opportunities are endless there and hopefully it can open up because there's been a lot of focus and we've written about it, like you said, on mental health, but I feel like a lot of it's surface level. It's therapy, it's talking, which is great and important. I think everyone should participate, but what goes deeper? And that's why we framed it as both as like the psychedelics is medicine, but also the mental gym, mental fitness side of like, there's a lot of people that hit a wall and it's what is next. How do I improve? Not once I know what my problems are, what is a level for me to advance beyond where I'm at? And, and I've even personally with all of the connections and access that we have struggled for years to find a, some system or person or coach or, you know, process that can help me not just identify problems, but improve on the mental health things that I'm experiencing. Yeah. hundred percent. I think. Like I was just reflecting on this the other day. I actually, I'm doing my MBA right now and I had to write a paper a bit about sports and mental health. And just the fact that we spend like as athletes, like most athletes, and, and you obviously take mental health a bit more seriously and so do I, but I think like we spend 90% plus on our, of our time on physical health, right? And maybe 10% or less, most commonly on mental health. Um, and it's just such an imbalance. And I personally, and again, this is my thesis, could be right, could be wrong. I feel like right now we're still in a state where like, if you're seeking health for mental health, that's like a bad thing. And you're trying to solve a problem that you have and you're abnormal and you don't, it's not necessarily like the normal thing to do. I think in five to 10 years, maybe more, it's going to be part of your mental health routine where every single week, just like you're going to the gym, you're having that one to two to three times per week check-in with the mental health professional as a means of just making sure that you're exercising your mental health kind of capacity. and so. That's what I'm really excited about because I think right now there's still a stigmatization. We're still only taking care of mental health when we're at kind of a negative point. And I genuinely believe for the person who feels great every day, it still needs to be part of their mental health routine, their weekly routine, their health routine in general as a means of preventing future mental health issues. So that's that's kind of where I stand. Yeah. And that's where I really think that one of the things that we're focused on is what we call habit behavior change. I think root cause of most problems when it comes to health and wellness and fitness, people can't, you know, build sustainable habits and have behavioral change and behavioral behavioral outcomes that they're looking for, whether it's eating the right way, working out consistently, having the, you know, the right way to approach mental health and building that into your life. So I've yet to see anything that is truly that I've seen a lot of apps and systems and to-do lists and trackers and other stuff, but nothing that has been, I think the level that we want it to be, but the, that 
concept is really exciting to us. And I think it has obviously implications all over people's lives, not just with health and wellness, but starting there and validating there is really cool. Yeah. I think it is great to see like athletes like Kevin Love, like Kyle Korver, like Simone Biles, like Naomi Osaka, like stepping up and starting the conversation. Cause to your first point on this episode about the trickle down effect of like professional of recreational athletes wanting to train in the same way that professional athletes do. I think having those kind of people as like a platform to mental health being normal could be really powerful. Yeah. I think you bring up, I mean, I think uh, the preventative is really interesting. I'm curious, you know, we talk about all of these companies and all the wearables and all the data that we're able to extract from everything. And we become these like data whores in a sense. Do you think that, I mean, I have my own personal opinion on this, that like all of this information and all of this overload is, is making us like unhappier in some capacities. Like it's contributing to poorer mental health because we're so fixated on these like numbers and like before we even knew that we could track our glucose, like we would just eat and then we would figure out if we felt good or not. And now we have like these metrics that are telling us if it's good or not. Like, do you think in the end, some of the like data overload and more of the information is going to lead to worse mental health and like how that relates? Definitely for certain consumers. I look at it as the same way as social media, like what I look at and compare myself to. And it's actually a specific use case where, you know, even now, if you're into the fitness and wellness game, if if you're looking on social media, other areas, you're seeing people that are so fit and, you know, it's something that's probably not attainable, you know, and now layer on a level of like, you know, them sharing their daily sleep score and how fast they're running and how healthy they're doing. And you're like, shit, I can't even keep up with that either. So I definitely think that there's a chance for that. And there's a certain type of person that it's definitely in there. Uh, it's in their personal nature to overanalyze and get stressed and, be concerned about the numbers and the, if their sleep score goes down or their whoop stress score is up the next day, it's going to be worse just because we're thinking about how bad it was the last day. So definitely there. And that's why I think for me, like levels, I would never wear it consistently, but throwing on like a very, for example, to tell, to help me understand once a quarter, what it means to how my body's responding. Cause as you lose weight or change or your exercise is different, you're going to adapt differently to certain foods and things. So that's great. But the daily need and building it in every day with all of that data. Like if imagine if every single day of your life, it was sleep score, stress score steps, you know, kind of the level of where your heart rate is and what's going on. And then the food you're eating, the total calories you're eating, the response to your glucose, it is very overwhelming. And that's another part of when we look at certain businesses, it's who's going to win. And and it can't be just like, there's not going to be $5 billion owned companies. There's not going to be, $5 billion tracking companies that in the end, when it all said and done, because they all will eventually do the same thing and then overload the consumer. Yeah. And it's so interesting because the more I don't have any social media and I'm very proud to say this, my, my social media is LinkedIn, which I guess counts as social media now, but um, like the more information we have, like people probably didn't even, people didn't even know it was a thing to like track their glucose. I mean, they did, but I'm saying like in a way that affects then like their athletic performance that you could do at home. So like the more technology advances, the more information that we're able to get and the more the same way that like 
before we didn't know that we could carry around like a mini computer in our in our pockets, like whatever. Anyway, we could go on about this for hours, but we want to transition to our favorite part of the podcast, which is rapid fire. We're going to throw a couple questions at you and you just give us your quick answer. Yeah. So I will start. Favorite athlete and sports team. Oh man, I don't I don't really pay attention to sports anymore. It's a lame thing to say. Any football, I love football, I love the sport of football. And then he's not an athlete anymore, but I love Pat McAfee and his show and what he does. It's like that. I love sports that way, but I, and I'm a Pittsburgh guy, love the Steelers, love the Penguins, but I haven't watched much in a while, unfortunately. Got it. You could cop out and say Ben Roethlisberger, Sid the Kid, or whatever it is. Yeah. Will Peloton come back? Yes. I... It will never be where it was because it was overvalued and overhyped. But in the downfall was they drank their own Kool-Aid. But it's it, look at the numbers, look at the revenue. It's a good business and it's a good product. And if they are smart and acquire, it will come back in, I think, a big force. And is, sorry, I, this is supposed to be rapid fire, but I really like this. Topic. <laughs> I'm very into Peloton in many ways. Did Do you think it's like, agree on kind of the M&A pipeline is it about going and just really executing at scale internationally is that like kind of their key lever of growth and kind of within the u.s they may have kind of maxed out their kind of addressable market a bit or is there still a ton of runway like right here oh tons and tons of opportunity if i were them i would have i would buy a strength product i mean arena one of the companies we're investing in they should have bought that and i think that if they build out and own multiple products like almost like a mini version of Rogue or TRX where they have their own line, but they have dumbbells, kettlebells, everything else, and they scale. And then they have the coaching. They should have bought Future where they, at the top end, they have high price coaching. At the bottom end, they have the app that's very accessible and affordable and every machine in between. And it would be all things health, wellness, and fitness. They should have launched the nutrition side. They still can't. And that's what I think they should do. They need to become the all things fitness and wellness provider and do it the right way. And it would be awesome to see. Definitely international scale as well, but there's people doing it like FlexNest is in India. So is ColtFit and they're huge. So, I mean, if they're going to scale internationally, they need to get on it and or acquire in that level. Favorite Olympic lift? Easily snatch. I am, I was an Olympic weightlifting coach. That was what we did at most of our gyms. Love it. I haven't done much of it in the, you know, as of lately, but full barbell snatch all day long. Awesome. Love it. Thanks a lot for getting through that. The last question we asked all our guests, and I feel like you are more qualified to kind of answer this in a million directions than anyone we've ever had on. What does it mean to you to subscribe to wellness? So what are some of like the habits that you are focused on a weekly basis to ensure that you're living the healthiest life possible while managing Fit Insider? For me, it's, you know, with my health journey that I went through and kind of battling what I did, it's really hard. I was an athlete. I was in the Marines. I was a coach, fitness, lifting, trying to power clean and snatch as much as I could and row 10 Ks as fast as I could was a thing. And after what I went through and then COVID, it was now just be healthy and make things enjoyable and just feel good is really it. So it's, for me, it's just the base level of finding a way to be healthy, but not overtaking your life and just be sustainable, which I've never really done. There's a sustainable approach to anything. So walk, make sure I drink enough water, play pickleball, you know, hike, kayak, go fish, even obviously not work out, but like that side of find a sustainable, enjoyable path to wellness, which I like wellness 
more than fitness because it's like, I want to feel well and, and overall well being than I do just want to be fit. Couldn't agree with you more. I think balance, we often talk about that with a lot of our guests, like how can you ensure just like a more balanced lifestyle instead of like, you know, your cheat day or whatever. It's like, how can I just be more even and balanced? I think a lot of people tried to touch in that during COVID. Where can people learn more about you, Fit Insider, stay up to date, et cetera? Yeah, appreciate the time and excited that hopefully get everyone to subscribe to the newsletter, listen to the podcast. Just Google Fit Insider, insider.fit.co. Uh, check out what we're doing there. Lots of content, everything's free. And Joe has a good podcast where even he's done about 120 interviews with kind of top founders in the space. And for us, it's really helping people stay informed and trying to provide the best, whether it's jobs board, research, content, anything else. Thanks, man. Love what you're doing. Keep it up. I will continue to religiously wait for that newsletter every Tuesday. Um, yep. And thanks again. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank right. you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.